Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast. On each and every episode, Brian talks with coaches, athletes, and performers in all arenas who are putting into practice the principles of peak performance that will help you close the gap from where you are to where you want to be, to help you become a master of the mental game, and to help you start dominating the day. Brian Kane, your peak performance and mental conditioning coach here, and today we've got a very special guest, Todd Whitting, head baseball coach at the University of Houston. That's ranked in the top 25 University of Houston Cougar Baseball. and Coach Whitting, appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us here today and talk a little bit about the mental game and just sure. excellence in coaching. And, you know, for the listeners, could you give us a little of your background in your coaching and maybe even playing career and how you got to where you are today as the head baseball coach at the University of Houston? Well, for me, you know, being the head coach at the University of Houston's kind of come full circle. You know, I came here in the fall of 1990 as a player, um, you know, played my collegiate career here at Houston and was fortunate to uh, to stay on board the year after I finished my eligibility as an assistant coach here. You know, 22 years old, I was really fortunate, kind of right place, right time, but I was a full-fledged Division One assistant at, you know, what I think is a considerably at a young age. So spent eight years here at the University of Houston, then had the, a great opportunity to go um, to TCU with Jim Sloshnagel for seven years and then was named the head coach back here at my alma mater um, in July 2010. In that 2010 year, after you know you as an assistant at TCU led mm-hmm. the Horn Frogs to the College World Series in Omaha in the last year of Rosenblatt, and Todd, what was that like for you as an assistant to kind of finally have that dream come true of going to the College World Series in in, in the last year of Rosenblatt? What was that like for you? Well, it was it, obviously very special. You know, being the last year in Rosenblatt puts a little more on the line to get there. But you know, for me individually as a coach. You know that's the pinnacle of our careers to be able to make it to, get, to have the opportunity to go play at Omaha. And you know, for me, the Super Regional that we won at Texas was my fifth op- my fifth chance to go. I was 0 for 4 going to that point, and uh, had actually lost a couple of Super Regionals to the University of Texas, where we ended up winning it. So, you know, that part of it was special to you know to win here in the home state to advance, but you know, also you know after being you know knocked to the mat four times and being so close, I think the previous four times. Um, you know, all of them were less than three runs that we had lost on the third game of a Super Regional, whatever program I was in at the time. So, you know, it was, uh, you know, for me, it was it was something that was very special. And, you know, like you said, to get to go play in the last year of Rosenblatt, um, you know, it was an awesome experience, you know, for me, for my family, and for the team that we took up there at TCU. You know, Todd, we've worked together now since 2006. Right. And it's now 2013. How have you progressed as a coach in terms of understanding of the mental game implementation of the mental game I guess what what does the mental game mean to you well I think with every player you know and, and this is something I firmly believe and I, and I talk to my assistant coaches about it all the time they all have a button you know and our job as coaches it's easy to know how to play the game of baseball to me it's easy to know how to manage the game of baseball but what becomes difficult is managing people and getting people to perform at the highest level and they're not all the same. There's no cookie-cutter way 
you know, to be successful in college baseball, to be successful at anything when you're dealing with mass numbers of people. So, you know, we have 35 guys on our team. I'm dealing with 35 different individuals, and they change every year. So, you know, to me, like I said, everybody has a button, and our job as coaches is, you know, first and foremost, present the information of our program, you know, what our systems are offensively, defensively, pitching-wise, base running. But then delve into, which to me is as important as anything, is the mental game aspect. How can we get each of our players to perform at the highest level you know, not just every once in a while, but day in and day out, day out, and to be consistent in what they do. You know, so what when you talk about the mental game and you know the signs that you've got in the dugout, the words you've got going up the steps, the TVs mm-hmm. in the locker room. I mean, you're doing a lot of things to reinforce the mental game. And I think one thing I hear you say consistently is the importance of doing a little bit a lot. Could you talk about some of the things that you do at the University of Houston or in your program that would be mental game or mental conditioning? Well, I think, you know, first and foremost, you have to create a culture where the mental game is a lifestyle. And it can't be something that, you know, you just spend a a few minutes, you know, you spend block times of talking about the mental game, you know, regurgitating, you know, cliches that we've always heard from here and here out. Um, I'm not real big into motivational speaking or motivational things. I'm into mental game training. And to me, it's not it's something we do every single day within our program, and it's a, it becomes a language or a lingo that we speak. And, you know, to get your players to buy into it, you have to be completely bought into it. And, you know, I think where some folks go wrong or some coaches go wrong is they'll present the information with the mental game, but they don't act it and they don't live it themselves. And, you know, it's my team is not going to trust me if – when things start to go sour, start to go south in a ball game, you know, if I freak out and I don't trust and I don't say so what next pitch, you know, if I don't have that mentality, they're not going to carry that mentality. So I think it starts at the top and it works its way down because, you know, no matter what uh, what the situation occurs in the game, the first thing that any player is going to do and all of them on the bench are going to do, whether things are going bad or they're going good, is you're going to look down there and see what the coach's reaction is to it. So I think training yourself, first and foremost, is the biggest thing. And then after that, it becomes a lifestyle. You have to have passion for it. You know, kids can see through, players can see through, um, you know, if you're not completely bought in. And for me, you know, I've, I've been involved in the mental game with you since 2006. was my first introduction to it. And... By trial and error, you know, obviously, you know, I make mistakes in the middle game all the time, just like you do, you know, when you're teaching a guy to hit a breaking ball. And But you constantly are learning from it, um, you know, day in and day out. And like I said, it becomes a lifestyle and a way, a, way that you, a way that you live your life. And it's not only on the field, but off the field. But, you know, as of late, the last couple of years, now that I have a few years behind me, um, you know, in implementing the middle game and living the lifestyle of the middle game, I can look back and tell my team honestly that since 2006, um, when you, Brian, came to TCU to start working with our team, since that time, every successful player that I've had to this point, um, whether they ended up being great college players or great college players that turned into great major leaguers, every one of them have bought into the middle game 100%. And I still talk to those guys, you know, to this day. I just, you know, talked to a kid the other day in Charleston, West Virginia, Kyle Von Tunglin, who's an A-ball with the Pirates, and uh, he's hanging out at the cage with us, watching our guys take BP before we play. And they happened to be in town that night. And you know, I asked him. I said, "Hey, you still practicing the mental game stuff that Brian taught you?" And he said, "Oh yeah, I carry the, I carry Brian's three books with me everywhere I go." And uh, you know, I kind of chuckled and said, "Yeah, man, it's like it's like magic, isn't it?" And he said, "He said, you know, I never, you know, the first couple of years that he was there, I didn't really bought into it until my junior year." 
um, is when I really, you know, uh, you know, probably for him, out of a little bit of desperation, you know, um, needing a grasp onto something that would help him, he finally latched onto it, and, and you know, his his career finally took off as a collegiate player. Ends up getting drafted. Now he's in the Pirates organization, and it's something he studies every day. You know, you talk about the guys who have been really successful have bought into the mental game. The guys like Matt Carpenter, mm-hmm. you know, Matt Curry, Sam Demmel. What are the things that you see them do that would tell you, hey, this guy's bought into the mental game? What do you see them doing? Well, it's 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 practicing the mental game when things are going bad. You know, it's easy it's easy to say, so what? Next pitch, you know, when you're you know when you're four for five that day, <laughs> you know, or it you know it's easy to say, act as if. Um, you know, whenever you uh, you go out and throw a complete game shutout, but it's when things are not going well for you. Um, you know, when you are scuffling, when you see guys continue to stay with their routines. Um, you know, to not be too high, or too high, or too low, or to get too emotional. Where what I like to term is they're just grinding it out. They're grinding out at bats, or grinding out pit, grinding out pitches on the mound. They're staying locked in defensively, um, which for a hitter is, a, is an indicator on how to me. All hitters, you know, or most hitters value their worth in life based on whether they're hitting a baseball or not. Yeah. And the defense is the first thing to go. If you see the guy still playing great defense and he's still working his routine, you know he's completely bought into the mental game. So those are a couple of the indicators that I look for. I, I keep an eye on every player's at-bats, you know, make sure that they're working their routine, um, that they're not going too fast. You know, the red, green, green yellow lights we're all aware of, you know, that we try to stay, you know, that we try to stay consistent as possible and not, and not be too high or too low. And, and those guys all have the same traits where they just kind of grind it out. And what they do when they don't think you're watching, when you see them work in the middle game, that to me is when you know you've got them hooked and you got a great player on your hands. You know, I think one of the things that you do so well is the daily repetition and the language and the terminology of it just being a part of the program. I mean, even when, you, when the first thing you see when you're walking up the steps in your dugout on the five steps, one pitch at a time. Right. Uh, and then you have the TVs with the signs. What are some of the, the most commonly used you know, signs of success or mental conditioning, men, the mentality, the statements that you use? I know so what is a big one. Could you talk about that and some of the other statements that you use? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we started doing one thing this year, and I probably have my top 20 or 10 or 20 mental game sayings. Um, you know, they're one or two word phrases. To me, if you start getting into paragraphs or, you know, things that are too long, you lose their attention. It's got to be short, sweet and to the point. And one thing that, that I've incorporated this year that I think has made a big difference with our ball club is what we call a mental game minute. And it's on every practice plan um, that we do every single day. And I'll throw, I'll throw up uh, you know, our, mental game, our mental game for the day, and it may be so what. And basically in 60 seconds or less, it's not me talking to the team and telling them what so what means. I'll pick out a random player on the team and say, all right, what does so what mean to you? Um, because that way, I, with me, I'm always trying to get feel. I want to have feel for my ball club. I want to have feel for the pulse of what the, how the club is doing mentally, obviously physically. So I want feedback from them. It's easy for me to sit up there and regurgitate all the things that I know about mental training and, and, uh, and all the things that go into it, but I want to know what they know. And, you know, so, so what's a big one for me? You know, confidence is a choice. I, I'm a big believer in that one. You know, obviously one pitch at a time. You know, when this pitch is something you'll hear me yelling at our at our out of the dugout constantly um, to the pitchers and hitters when they get in tough situations, um, just to remind them that you know the last pitch doesn't matter. It's all about this pitch. You know, next 200 feet is something we talk about daily. In fact, when we finish stretching, 
um, my trainer has marked off from our foul line 200 feet into center field, and we finish up our stretching every day with a 200-foot sprint. You know, just little subtle reminders. And, uh, you know, so those are, those are some of probably my top ones um, that I use. But <laughs> to be honest with you, I probably use them all the time. I know my kids can probably here at home, you know, they, they know them all as well because, like I said, it becomes a lifestyle. It becomes a vernacular that you use. It becomes a way of life. Um, you know, it's, it's basically how you, you're setting yourself up, you know, to be a role model to them on how you think they should handle situations because so much in life is not what happens to you. It's how you react to it. And you know what? The mental game training is going to really help my kids through being a college player. But you know what? I think it's really going to help them when they get on into real life when there are real problems. There are a lot bigger problems out there than trying to hit a breaking ball, um, you know, once, you're, once you're, your plan days are over and done with. And, you know, so hopefully I'm setting them up for success, not just within, within the four years that we're playing for me, but the 40 years of life that they have left after that. Um, one of the things I heard you say, I think it was probably back in 2010, maybe it was even when we were having dinner one night in Omaha, and you said, I said, Todd, what difference has, how, how have you changed individually as a coach over, over, the, over the time that we have worked together and you've kind of gotten locked in on the mental game? And you said, early in my career, it was about coaching mechanics first, plan and approach second, mental game third. Mm-hmm. And that that's kind of changed. And now you go after the mental game, then the plan and the approach, and then the mechanics. Could you talk about that a little bit and the, kind of that shift in your mentality? Yeah, this, and this is something I talked to the team about in the very first day when they get there in the fall. Um, because I do think as coaches, you know, we get too we get too eat up with the mechanical part of the game. And you learn first of all, you learn three to me you learn three different ways. You learn by seeing something, you learn by feeling something, you learn by hearing it. Well, we as coaches I think make the big mistake that we make from the little league level all the way up to the college level is we talk too much. You know, and the worst way to teach somebody is by telling them something. Um, you know, so to me that's number three on the totem pole. I want my guys to either hear it or I'm sorry, see it. Or feel it. So the order of reports for me when I'm teaching somebody is I want them to feel it. If they can feel it, then they're going to get it, you know. And if they can't feel it, I want them to see it, which is video or mirrors or so on and so forth. And then obviously you've got to teach and you've got to, the auditory part of it, you've got, they've got to hear it a little bit. So, you know, I think that's, that's first and foremost as a coach is what I try to do as much as anything is feel beats thought. You know, I want them to feel something instead of thinking about something. But I talk, when I, I talk to the team, and how we teach and how we, we handle every aspect of our program at the University of Houston is we are, the, the order of importance to me whenever you're working with a skill is middle game, number one. That's the first and foremost thing that we're, if we know we're a great player, if we think we're a great player, you know, what's going on in our mind? Because it doesn't matter how, how great my swing is. It doesn't matter how grooved my swing is or, or how good it is in the cage, how many hours I spend in the cage. If I don't think I'm any good or if I think I'm beaten by a pitcher on that day, I'm done. It doesn't matter how good my swing is. Some of the greatest hitters that I've ever had in college baseball had some of the worst swings you've ever seen. Um, you know, next thing is on the order of importance chart for us is approach. You know, from a hitting standpoint, what we swing at, when we swing at it, and why we swing at it. Um, it goes back to, again, you know, I can have a great swing. I can fine-tune that thing to cage. I can be a great 5 o'clock hitter in BP. But if I'm swinging at breaking balls in the dirt, doesn't matter how good my swing is, you know, um, if I'm chasing all over the place. And then the third, obviously, is the mechanical end of it. That's where we get into the mechanics. So anytime a player comes to me and he's struggling, um, for example, you know, say a kid goes, you know, say he goes 0 for 4, um, you know, he has a power, hits a power ground ball to shortstop. He has a 10-strike punch out or a 10-pitch at bat where he strikes out. It's a long fly ball to center field. 
and maybe lines out to right. Well, that guy, because of the way the way the perception of baseball is, he failed, and he feels like a failure. When in my mind, that guy was four for four that day. You know, he had four quality at bats. Even though he struck out, it's still a quality at bat. In our day and age, you know, 100 pitch kind of becomes 100 pitches kind of becomes, you know, when the warning the, the red lights go off, start getting the bullpen ready. Well, if you have a 10 pitch at pitch at bat, you just burn 10 percent of his outing in one in one at bat. So that's what I try to spin them towards. You know, you had a great at bat, and you know, when they come to me after a game in a situation like that, the first thing I'm going to ask them, or you know, if they were 0 for three with three punch outs, the first thing I'm going to say is, did you swing at your pitch? Because every hitter always, as soon as they have a bad day, they want to go to the cage. Well, it may not be the swing. It may be, how did you feel today? Did you feel like you were the best hitter in the ballpark? No. Well, why are we going to the cage when you don't have the mental, when you don't have the mental um, mindset that you are the ultimate baseball player on that day and there's nobody that can get you out? If you don't have that attitude, then there's nothing I can do for you in the cage. And, you know, or if a kid comes to me and he's, you know, he's 0 for 3 with, for three with a couple of punch outs and maybe a roll over to second base, did you swing at your pitch? Uh, well, you know, I was chasing, you know, chasing breaking ball in the dirt and fastball up in a way I chased it out of the zone. Okay, that has nothing to do with your swing that day. Okay, so let's swing at the right thing and the right counts. And then, obviously, if we get past the middle game and the approach side of it, then we'll hit the mechanics. You know, but to me, you know, the mechanical end of it, obviously, everybody has to have a baseline of, of what my program is, whatever each individual coach has. But to me, it all starts with the middle game. I've seen, you know, will over skill that wins. You know. It's not the team, and nothing I tell the team all the time is it's not the best team on the field that day. It's the team that plays the best. So, you know, if we have that mindset and that mental approach, you know, then all those things are going to take care of themselves. And I tell, I tell players all the time, usually if you, if you think that you're, you know, you're in a funk or you're not swinging the bat well, if you will change your mental game and especially your approach, it will usually fix your mechanics nine times out of ten. It will usually fix your mechanics on our level where we're dealing with great players. So, you know, those are kind of some of the things that we talk about. That's from day one. That's the that's what I want to instill in their minds is it's not always the mental it's not always the mechanical. Let's look at the mental and the approach side first. You know, you've taken over at the University of Houston, been here now in year three and taken a program uh, back to the prominence in college baseball mm-hmm. and back to the top 25 for the first time in a, in a number of years. Talk about program, mm-hmm. philosophy, core values, core covenants, and really trying to get everyone in the organization to buy into an identity of this is who we are, which nowadays can be difficult in college baseball because of TV and it being such an individual sport that guys are now you know going to from junior college because they want to stop by for one year and then go play pro. You know, and you've got some junior college guys and some mm-hmm. high school guys, and you got them all on the same page. Talk about your core covenants and how you establish those, what they are, and then how you reinforce them. Well, first and foremost, you know, before I get the core covenants that we have, the main thing is we when we came to University of Houston. You want to build a winning. We don't build a winning program, not a winning team. And in order to do that, there are some sacrifices that have to be made. And to me. You know, we're going to attack our talent level. We're going to attack everything that has, has to do with baseball. But for me, with my plan coming to the University of Houston, and we're by far from being a finished product and where we want to be, we're, to me, we're still in the infancy stages. But, you know, it's a long, hard process. You know, we're in a society that wants to win now. Um, so you have to be resilient when you have a plan and when you have something that you truly believe in. And the plan that we have in place in University of Houston is something that is well thought out, I, I would like to think. 
and it's something that we you know we'll adjust here and there but we're not going to deviate and we had a couple of tough years but i'm not deviating from what i know over 15 16 years of experience before i got here that i know works and to me you build everything around the team when you build your recruiting up when you get um you know your sports psychologist in when you hire a great strength coach when you have a great trainer when you have a sports nutritionist um, when you do a great job with your marketing department when you do a great job with your donors you get your camps going um, your fundraising thing all the things that surround the team when i when you get those function at a high level then all of a sudden you're going to see your team elevate if you attack at the other end the other way yeah you'll win here you'll win there i mean we almost we were, you know, we were a few outs away from winning the Conference USA Championship tournament championship game my first year. That wasn't that wasn't defined us as a winning program. That would have been a winning team. Right. That doesn't guarantee any success the following year. Right. So we have to build it from the ground up. So my task here is to build everything around the team to get the support the team support at the highest level. And then when I do that, when those guys are supported, then they're going to start to flourish in that environment. And that's what I tell every parent. Uh, when they bring their kid on campus is, you know, we're going to support your kid like crazy. I'm not. There's no guarantees that I can give you. I'm not going to guarantee he's going to start. I'm not going to guarantee you that he's even going to get a degree from here. I'm not going to guarantee you that he's going to be in, uh, you know, he's not. He's going to play professional baseball. Those are all things that are his choice. You know, you have a decision whether to go to class. Um, you have a decision whether to do the things that will allow you to reach your goals, but we're going to support you like crazy and provide you with everything you need to achieve those goals. You know, those are all choices that he has to make. Um, you know, and, and on top of that, you know, our, our core, what we call our core covenants in our program and what we're about. You know, every day, you know, these are things that we talk about. Not all four of them at one time. For me, I have four things. Um, but, you know, we, we're constant reminders on what we're trying to be and where we're trying to go. Um, the first one is process. You know, which is you basically trust the process of what we're doing. Um, get out of the get out of the goals. Get out of the results. You know, what's at the end? You know, we may look at it. You know, the first day I may talk about you know going to the promised land, but after that we don't talk about it anymore. I, I've yet to talk about. You're talking about a program. You know, this year that you know a year ago we won 18 games the entire year. I haven't talked about last year one time. It wasn't a mo on our team to be better than last year. Or, you know, we're, it's us against the world because we didn't have a good year last year. Last year doesn't matter. In fact, the last game doesn't matter. So why would I put any stock in what happened last year? I'm going to learn from him as a coach, but I'm going to keep forward, move forward and just keep working the process, which is, um, you know, day in and day out, instituting our system, getting the kids to buy into everything that we're doing from a sports psychology standpoint, from a sports nutrition standpoint, from an academic standpoint, and so on and so forth. And, you know, talking about academics, to me, one thing that's a great indicator that the kids are buying into our program is our team, every every semester that I've been to the University mm-hmm. of Houston, we've had over a 3.0. And prior to our staff coming to the University of Houston, we had never had a 3.0, not even in a semester. So that, to me, shows buy-in. That's process working right there. Um, the next thing is energy. Um, you got to have energy, everything you do. Nobody wants to be around low-energy people. I try to portray that, I, you know, energy at all times, everything I do. It's fast-paced. Um, you know, I want to have fun at what I'm doing. I want my players to have fun, and you can't do that if you don't have energy. So every day we talk. Every day we talk about having great energy in this practice, great energy in this game. You know, great energy in anything that we're doing. We want to attack it with energy. And uh, you know, when you have energy, it's contagious. You know, you're not going to have 35 people on a team have great energy every day. But you know what? If you got 25, 28 of them, they're going to rub off on the rest of them around them. You look up, and all of a sudden you've got a, you've got an energetic team that loves to play. Um, trust. That's you know. That's another one. You know. Process. Energy. Trust. You know. Trust your teammates mm-hmm. um, that they're going to have your back and they're working as hard as you are. Trust your coaches that they that they 
you know, are giving you the right information um, that are going to help you to succeed both on and off the field. You know, trust yourself, you know, probably first and foremost. We play a, a team sport, but it's so individual that you have to have trust in yourself that, you know, you deserve to be good that day because you prepared and you've done all the things that you need to do to be a great player on that day. So you've got to have trust in yourself. So trust is a big one. You know, trust in your teammates um, that they're not going to do anything to jeopardize your season, you know, um, and, and so on and so forth. And the last thing is excellence. You know, we want to be excellent in everything we do. Um, you know, our locker room, we want to keep it ex- in excellent condition at all times. When we're across campus representing, you know, ourselves and the athletic department, we want to be excellent in the classroom. Um, we have appearances outside the athletic department, you know, the various activities that I have the kids do, dinners, you know, donor functions, things like that. Just be excellent. And, uh, you know, that, and that, that's, those are things, I think, you know, process, energy, trust, excellence, those are things that are going to going to help us to win games now, to have success here in the here in the here and now, but also down the road, you know, it's going to set those guys up for success later on. I think it's so important that you do identify who you are as a program mm-hmm. and the acronym PEAT of process, energy, trust, and ex- and excellence. Mm-hmm. You know, as a, is the foundation of Houston baseball. And often, when things aren't going good, I think as a coach, and you know, you go to the mat because everyone's going to go to the mat. Everyone's mm-hmm. going to get knocked down. Oh yeah, no doubt. You know, do you go searching for what's next, or do you go trusting that we've just got to get back to execute and Pete? And the difference between searching for what's next, what's the next gimmick, what are we going to do to get out of this, which would be, you know, superstition, which is rich in baseball, mm-hmm. or do we go trusting our process and who we are as a program? Well, I think you have to, you know, you have to believe in what you're doing. You have to trust your process, but you can't be stubborn. Um, you know, you have to be able to adapt things that change. You know, you know, recruiting now is not what recruiting was five years ago. You know, social media out there is different ways of contacting kids. You have to adjust. You know, today's players don't react to some of the things that they used to do. But if you got, if you have your core, you know, your core of what you believe in, and you've got to stay with it because anytime you start to, anytime the ship starts to go awry, and you start to change, that shows panic. And that's a lesson that I had to learn the hard way the first two years as a head coach is, you know, things start to go a little bad. All right, well, let's mix it up a little bit. You know, let's change this and change that. And then, you know, after last season, it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks that, you know, as I, as you look around at all the success, you know, successful people, one common denominator among all people who are successful is they have a tight, locked routine, something that they do daily, the way they live, the way they prepare. You know, they have a routine. They, and they you know, your routine may be different than somebody else's, but if you completely believe in your routine, you're going to have success with it. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is, you know, to keep, with a ball club is you got to keep them in a routine. Um, you know, it's okay to mix it up every, every once in a while and kind of shake things up. I think those things are done, you know, more when you're, you're having confidence issues than anything else. You know, you want to have a little fun instead of, you know, bearing down on them harder when they're having a tough time, that's when you lighten up on them. You know, to me, the time you lock down your ball club and you know, raise the bar of expectation is when they're ha- when they're doing well and they're having success. They're more likely to hear it. You don't break their confidence at that point. So, you know, but I think routine. You know, staying with things on a daily basis. Um, you know, with the ability to adapt. You know, here and there um, is is one thing that's helped us have some success this year. Is just you know, staying with doing what we do. You know, a guy who was an assistant coach in two great programs and went to. Super Regionals, went to the College World Series. What advice would you have for young assistant coaches who 
are in the game now that ultimately someday want to be head coaches. What advice would you give to them about being an assistant coach, having now been a head coach, and having been an assistant for a number of years? Well, I think first and foremost, the thing that when you get into college coaching, you have to understand it's a lifestyle, it's not a job. You know, it doesn't ever stop. You know, it's it, you don't punch in and punch out. Um, you know, there are a lot of things over the past, you know, 18 years with, you know, that you're going to miss with your family. Um, there's, there's sacrifices, just like there is in any career if you're going to be successful. But, you know, if you understand, you know, that it's something that you live and that you breathe, um, you know, then, you know, then it becomes easier to be, you know, to be what you, to be successful at, at home as well. You know, it's, uh, you know, there are times when you have to free, when you have to lock in and, you know, it's family time, it's family time. But, you know, priority, time management, all those things, um, you know, when you, if you do get married, you got to have, you know, you got to have a great head coach at the house. I consider myself to be the assistant coach in our house, and uh, my wife's the head coach, and, you know, she does a great job, you know, when I'm gone and, uh, you know, of, of managing the kiddos. So, you know, first and foremost, you have, to, you have to understand what it is. You know, the next thing is be relentless, um, relentless on the recruiting trail. You know, I don't care how much you know about the mental game or how much you know about the game of baseball. You got to have great players. Period. So our job starts and stops each day with recruiting. So, you know, having the ability to ability to evaluate and sign great players. Um, you know, we're all better coaches when we have good players. So, you know, to me, those are the two things. I mean, that's relentless is one thing that you know I talk to our ball club all about all the time, and I try to live my lifestyle where no matter what I'm doing, I'm just relentless at it day in and day out. Um, but this is a lifestyle, and it's, it's a relentless approach, you know, to being successful and to, and to not settling for not reaching, you know, not reaching the peak performance and the goals that you've set. You know, there's right around 300 Division One head coaching jobs in baseball in the country. Mm-hmm. You've got one of those jobs. Of all the people on the planet, you've got one of those 300 coveted Division One college baseball head coaching jobs. Right. What is it, if you could hear in our last question, if there was one seed of success that you could take from your life, from your experience, that this one thing that you've done that's made you the success that you are, and plant that seed in the minds of other people so that they could grow and they could have more success, Todd, what would that one seed of success be that you would plant in others? That's an easy one to me because it changed my career, even though I'd had success before. I'd had success before 2006, but didn't really understand success. But it's basically the mental game. Um, you know, first and foremost, the, the thing that I tell kids all the time when they come into our program, I said, I say, I tell them before I, before you you ever talk to the team, this is going to change your life. You know, if you buy into this, this is going to change your life. It's going to change the way you approach your school. It's going to change the way you approach your life outside of uh, outside of here. It's going and it's definitely going to change the way you approach the game. And you know, it's all a mindset dealing with adversity. You know, the game of baseball. It's not. It's not very much fun most of the time because there's so much failure, you know. And you know what? When you get out in the real world, there's a lot of failure out there too. And like I said earlier, it's not what happens to you in life. It's not what happens to you on the baseball field. It's how you react to it. Is usually what's going to determine, you know, whether you're successful. And you know, but for me, if you don't have, I've seen a lot of great players come and go that, you know, never quite bought into the mental game. You know, they become a great player doing it their way. Um, you know, but as you get to higher levels, um, you know, that's the difference maker among the, the great ones, you know. And some people you have to teach them the mental game. Uh, some of them come by it naturally. You know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of great major league players and a lot of great college coaches and great college players who have 
unbelievable mental game skills and don't even know it, you know. And, uh, you know, my job as, as the head coach is to make sure my staff and my players understand the mental makeup of what we want to be about and how we want to play the game each and every day. So, you know, if you, if you don't do anything else but practice your mental game, um, you're going to become a better player. And it's all about will, you know, will to win. I, I talk to my team about it all the time. I, I've been fortunate to be in two great programs in my career. I haven't had to move around a whole lot. But I can honestly say that we've, both programs here at the University of Houston and at TCU, we didn't always have the best players. Um, but we had players that had a great will to win. And we weren't always, you know, at either place, the, the most popular place for a recruit to go. Sometimes we'd have to uncover some, a few rocks. Um, you, know, you know, one thing I'm really proud of is, you know, our teams at the University of Houston that were going to Super Regionals back in the late 90s and early 2000s and our Omaha team at, uh, in 2010 at TCU, other than, a few, other than a few guys, you're not talking about a lot of highly recruited guys. And, you know, five of our nine position players in Omaha in 2010 weren't even contacted by another Division One school, you know. But those guys had great mental makeup. They had great will to win. I thought they were great players at the time and brought them into the program, and they completely bought into what we were trying to do. So, you know, first and foremost, and, and at the end of the day, hey, if you don't have great mental game skills, you know, you'll get to a certain level. Some guys are greater, better athletes than others. Um, they can, you know, they're, you know, in high school, you know, a lot of hitters are better than the pitcher that they're facing, or a lot of the pitchers are just flat better than the hitters they're facing. But as you climb those levels, that talent level starts to even out, and all the great ones have great mental game skills. Coach Whitting, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule here in the middle of your season to sit down and talk with us a little bit about the mental game and excellence in coaching. Thank you for the time, man. Enjoyed the interview. All right, my man. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast. Please make sure that you visit briancain.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-C-A-I-N.com. And sign up for my Monday message, where every Monday I deliver straight to your inbox videos, interviews, articles, tips, techniques, and strategies that you can use to master the mental game. You can also contact me through my website on our contact us page and see my calendar of where I'm going to be in the country and when I'm coming to your area so that we can get together and that we can continue to go out there and dominate the day. The Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast is part of the Top Coach Network. This is a production of Corn Belt Sports.